The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. dramatic the story of creation is as told in the book of Genesis in the Hebrew scriptures. You, you can just imagine it. The God who sweeps her hand and light appears, who nods his head and planets spin in the skies. And suns begin to burn and heat and light up moons. The creative power snaps its fingers and birds crack their wings one day. Whales and minnows swim in the newly created seas and fill the rivers and lakes that were never fresher than in this moment. Humankind is rolled from the earth. My favorite depiction of all of this, of course, is in the James Weldon Johnson poem, The Creation, that we read up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay, and by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. There, the great God Almighty, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the farmost corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand. This great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay till he'd shaped it in his own image and then blew into it the breath of life and man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. And there Adam and Eve must have stood. We can also, also imagine like Mary Oliver describes one of them rubbing his eyes after that first night of sleep and parting the leaves on some full and resplendent tree like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. All good, God says of creation. Each step good, a gift indeed. Though, according to the story, it would be broken from its perfect state, and those who came after would be left to bind it back up and find our way back to the paradise we are told once existed. But for a moment, for a moment at the story's beginning, we are at this place of creation, all fresh. And we're told at the end of this story, we're told that this God does one last thing. It's the capstone to this whirlwind of divinely generative work, and it's not quite what we might suppose. Rabbi and theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel writes, the mythical mind would expect 
that after heaven and earth have been established, God would create a holy place, a holy mountain or a, a holy spring whereupon a sanctuary could be established. And yet it seems as if to the Bible, it is holiness in time, the Sabbath, which comes first. Heschel points out that God's last creative act, at least in this first wave of creation, is to consecrate a day. And it is said God calls it holy, kadosh, the first thing. The, the first reality, the only part of creation, as good as it all is, that is called holy, is a day. Reverend Forrester Church used to say that eternity wasn't length of time, but depth in time. And I'm not always sure I understand exactly what he meant, but I think I get the idea that time, it isn't just a measure of a length, but it has these qualities to it. It has depth. As Genesis points out, it has holiness too. Not all time, but some time. And whether it is that way in and of itself or we make it so by consecrating the way we are present to it, I do not begin to know, but that time can be holy, that I do know. The idea of Sabbath asks us to partner with that truth. I think Sabbath gets a bad rap in our contemporary conventional use. Even using the word conjures up images of finger-wagging ministers and days without alcohol or, or fun, for that matter. Sabbath in that vein, it's all about starched, scratchy clothes, boring, long sermons, tight shoes, having to be on your best behavior. But the notion in Judaism, at least, is so much richer and frankly so much more gorgeously and seductively appealing than that. At least it is to me, and I, I hope you'll agree. Imagine this, a perfect day. Think of your own. For me, that would be the day right in the middle of an extra long weekend or a week of summer vacation with family or friends, a day when nobody has a lot of energy to do anything ambitious but abandons themselves to just being and to the good things in life, by which I don't mean tiaras and caviar. <laughs> Can you remember such a day, right? I'm sure you have them. It's that day when the cooking is all done and there are plenty of leftovers in the kitchen so, so nobody has to cook. And plenty of days to do chores because you have the whole weekend and the rest of vacation so you all can relax guilt-free. 
It's a day when you're just hanging out with people that you love, playing football in the backyard or sitting around the table in your jeans and joking for hours. It's a meandering day. Maybe there's a little time for Scrabble or a puzzle. Some folks nap and others find a quiet place to read. And maybe at some point, everybody curls up around the TV for a movie or to watch a game. Some are on the couch and some are on the floor reclining on pillows brought from other rooms. People are laughing and poking fun of each other and there's this grace around the table at night. And people, the people who are no longer there, they're also somehow right there in between you all. And if you were God, you might stand up in the presence of all of it and say, and that's good. Do you know that kind of day? Well, that's what Sabbath, this holy day, is supposed to be like, in a way. Sabbath is actually the holiest of Jewish holy days. There are 52 of them in a year, after all. No other celebration gets as much airtime as that. And what is at the core of this day? What is it about? Piety? Boredom? No. Sabbath is about delight. A delight that makes everything important possible, a delight that is key to our spiritual and emotional survival. Rabbi Irving Greenberg, author of The Jewish Way, writes, the promise that universal peace can be reached and the earth turned into a paradise is astounding. The demand to overcome sickness and poverty is revolutionary and wild in Judaism that it is believed that all this will be achieved through humanity, not in spite of us. That's what we Unitarian Universalists, by the way, also believe that we human beings are the hands and fingers, the legs and eyes, the mouth of whatever is divine. We are flawed, for sure. Any longtime members of the human race will attest to that, but we are capable of overcoming our flaws in just the right moments sometimes, and just the right ways, and do tremendous good despite our limits. So the theater of salvation is not in some imagined heaven and hell, but it's right here, it's right now, it's every day, it's every hour we live and choose and shape our future by our actions in this present moment. But that is tiring business, as we know, and the world can get under our skin and compromise our resolve like, well, like a, a boat sometimes that has 
lost its guiding star in a cloudy sky, too, we can start to veer off course slightly, almost imperceptibly sometimes, but day by day that one degree can send us off in a completely different direction, forging a future we actually didn't want to be a part of. How do we ground ourselves then to protect against all these pitfalls of the life of the Spirit? Well, one such way is Sabbath. Sabbath was supposed to be the structure we build into our lives for just these reasons. No one should try to save the world, writes Rabbi Greenberg, without having an inner life. Tradition had to develop an individual's love of life. Sabbath is about that. A structure in time, a consecration of time, a cathedral, not on a hill to mark the seventh day, but in the recurring hours of our week, all for making sure that we nurtured an inner life and a love of life. Who doesn't want that? How, you might ask, how? Are we supposed to do that to avoid all those pitfalls of despair and dangerous misdirection of life? What helps us avoid all that? Well, a bunch of things were supposed to be part of Sabbath. This, for sure. Worshiping, singing, praying, ideally getting together with community in person, but at least staying connected to people whose, whose ideals, whose visions we shared, who helped hold one another accountable and helped hold the whole of life and wrestle to make sense of it together week in and week out. So this, for sure, but also, study and reading time and time for thought and reflection was part of Sabbath. Eating, but not cooking, so that no one was stuck in the kitchen while the rest relaxed. Food was made in advance. No dishes were supposed to be done that day. No vacuuming, no shopping. Sex. Making love to your partner was considered a mitzvah, a blessing on Shabbat. So is sleeping, by the way. And now, how perfect that those two go together, right? I mean, how much more likely are you to be in the mood when you get a nap and when there are no chores or dishes to do? I mean, do you see the genius of this? And what happens if we do all of this, if we surrender to the harsh discipline of Sabbath? Rabbi Greenberg says that when we do, quote, the ability to reflect is set free. Creative thoughts long forgotten come to mind. One's patience with life increases. The individual's capacity to cope is renewed. 
But there's one other aspect of the intention and framing to Shabbat that I don't want to lose because I love it so much. Sabbath is more than just all these lovely, restorative, joy-filled practices. It's even more than that. Shabbat is supposed to be a taste of the fulfillment of a dream. Think about this. Once a week, we are to set aside all that is undone, all that is imperfect, all that is heartbreaking and painfully eluding of our efforts. One day, we are supposed to act as if to pretend, to pretend the world is perfect. More so even, we are to dig beneath the ugliness and imperfection of the world and hold up the quiet, the wisdom that breathes through books and in still moments, the sheer joy of food shared and being with loved ones of body honored and celebrated and mind and spirit allowed to roam We are supposed to see the blue skies always there, but that sometimes get clouded over. See that perfection is here already, even amidst all the pain. Why? Why do that? Because doing so gives us a taste of what we're working to make real for everyone all the time. The hope is that having lived into this reality one day a week, having tasted of it, we'll go back committed to lean even harder into the stubborn places in the world, determined, if you will, to unearth the good, the holy in this world, abundant life made possible for all. What a radical act it is to keep the Sabbath then, to ignore the pressures to stay busy and dissatisfied. What a radical act to commit one day to delighting in the world, acting as if it's perfect and enjoying all of the things that make it so already, and calling it a religious commitment. A decade ago, after running myself completely down, I recommitted to trying to honor one day in a kind of Sabbath. I don't do it perfectly. I need to be reminded of what it means, so I'm preaching to myself this morning, too. I sometimes do a little school shopping on those days. I sometimes fold a little laundry. I scramble some eggs. I maybe bake some cookies. But I choose these things differently on that day. And I prioritize rest. And I prioritize study. And I protect time with my loved ones. And I focus on joy. And I hold that day very differently. And it sustains me when I remember to do so. And it infects how I am the rest of the week. So I invite you, if you don't already do so, to consider one day carved out along these lines. One day, 
one day a week to rise and part the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift, one day not to miss delight for distraction. For theologians and poets alike tell us we were made for two purposes, my friends, to savor life and to save this life. We were made for both. And one day, so the story goes, was created holy. And just to remind us not to forget the savoring part. Delighting, we are told, may just make all the rest possible. Shabbat shalom, my friends. Shabbat shalom. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.